Queen City Nerves News Hounds is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. And welcome back to Queen City Nerves News Hounds Podcast. After a three-month hiatus, we are back. And uh, it's a little bit different of a layout today. Usually I have my co-host Justin here with me, but we're going to go one-on-one today. was not my original plan. Justin had some other uh, commitments, and we actually had a couple of guests planned, but Marjorie Molina couldn't make it. She's newly elected to city council. She had a prior commitment with uh, Telemundo, so that's one Telemundo Zero Queen City Nerve. But I think we won in this because we got Dante Anderson here, who just this week was uh, elected through primary, will not run a, will run unopposed in July. So she is our new District 1 Charlotte City Council rep. What's going on, Dante? How's it going? How's Man, it going? It's been a crazy week uh, for me, but I assume for you it's been about 10 times that. Oh, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, went from Monday, just exhausted, just trying to work, work every angle mm-hmm. and then actual election day. And I think yesterday was finally like an opportunity to exhale and say, wow. Yeah. yeah. So it's been we'll go back to the uh, or, the origin story, if you will, of your background and how you got to this point. But. Just to start off, I mean, this has been such a delayed election. Um, it's been crazy. I, I'm, I'm trying to even think back. It was a year and a half maybe then after it should have been or or maybe just it was supposed to be November 2020. Yeah. So, yeah, we're looking at like a year and a half delay. How long were you part of the original? Were you campaigning for that original time before you realized it was going to be delayed or did you hop in later? Or how long have you been campaigning? Yeah, so I've been campaigning close to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I entered this whole arena when Smudgy Mitchell stepped down and vacated oh, right. his seat, mm-hmm. and they were accepting applications, and that was sort of right after the new year. And um, I typically take some time right at the beginning of the new year after Christmas, the holiday season, to sort of reflect and kind of direct my intentions, mm-hmm. right? And so... I had come from a little uh, retreat of sorts to do that, and I thought, you know what, I think I want to participate in this process. I'm a Charlotte native, born and raised. I know we'll get to that a little bit mm-hmm. later, but really passionate about the city, and I thought this is a, a great way for me to jump into the political process. So, unfortunately, I wasn't selected. You know, they went I, with Greg. I was loud about my, um, <laughs> my what's the word? I was not happy with that selection to just to bring all these people in, get a lot of people excited about maybe fresh blood on the council, only to go back and pick someone who had retired and yeah. left, left already. Yep, I get it. And there were there were actually over 100 mm-hmm. uh, applications so for many. that process. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Greg's a great guy. No, I've yeah, I have no problem with Greg with as a representative. Yeah. It was just like, why'd you do that? I know. <laughs> why'd you do that whole process? <laughs> there were so many great candidates there. Yeah. Um, you were shortlisted on that, right? Weren't you? I, I was. Yeah. I was shortlisted, which was which was good. And again, after that process and just seeing where things went, I decided to jump into the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And so at that point, it, I, I wanted to run at large because 
Greg was fulfilling an at-large seat, and he had been clear about the fact he wasn't going to run right. for that seat. Yeah, there was going to be at least one. Mm-hmm. But Julie left one again. Exactly. And that's those things began to materialize mm-hmm. when Julie announced she wasn't going to run, and then other um, former incumbents decided to get into the race. I right. thought, you know what? For I probably should run for my district because as I went back and looked at, you know, just all the time I've spent in the city, I've mm-hmm. spent so much time in District 1. Right. It's a, it's a very critical piece to just my upbringing. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I decided to officially file for District 1. So been campaigning for over a year, though. Yeah, okay. about a year. And then when Larkin, so when Larkin announced he was going to jump into the at-large race, which just turned out. I think Larkin was one of the first people, but then once you got Patrick Cannon and James and Luana, oh, yeah. these are all people who have already been council members. It's exactly, like a, exactly. It's like a, um, you know, when MTV, the challenge, when they bring back all-stars. <laughs> the reunions. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and so when Larkin announced that, though, before Cannon and all of that, were you already like, you know what, I'm I'm focused on this district? So I, I'm trying to think back to when Larkin it was, actually announced. Yeah, it's announced. been a long time, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he announced pretty early on. And so, you know, I did reach out to him. He's my rep, mm-hmm. and he's been my rep for years. And I did reach out to him, and, you know, he we just had a very open, uh, you know, candid conversation. He's like, you know, you could run for either one, mm-hmm. um, you know. And I said, okay, and I just thought about, what would I really um, have as it relates to touch points with the community for District 1 rep? Started going to neighborhood association meetings and meeting community leaders. And um, and then I just felt comfortable then. And then at that time, I believe Billy had already said that he was going to run for District 1. And then and then I I follow my paperwork and then afterwards Charlene jumped in. Mm-hmm. So there was a um, there was a race of one and then I added a second and and then we had the right. group of three. Mm-hmm. Well, congrats! It worked out for you. I mean, I'm surprised. I've seen. I'm not surprised that you won. I'm surprised at how many times Billy Madeline's run in the time that I've been a journalist over the last 15 years or so. And he seems like a candidate who's got it all together mm-hmm. and knows what he's talking about. But he always gets bettered. By somebody who's hmm. got it more, mm-hmm. I don't know, just a better outreach, I guess. And, you know, you are, I was talking to someone today. I did a little bit of background research on you, talking to okay. a, a mutual friend of ours. <laughs> and she was telling me, you know, the city does not deserve Dante, how great of oh. a candidate this oh, person geez. is. And from my understanding, three MBAs, is that right? Or three degrees from MIT, Harvard. Yes. Yep. That's yeah. Yeah. Uh, have a degree from NYU as well. Uh, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm degreed. That's yes. for sure. You are educated, yes. but you're also in the community. Yes. And I think that's what's great. So yes. tell me a little bit about coming up in Charlotte. I believe, from what I was told, you grew up in Southside Homes. I did. Yeah. yeah. So just tell me a little bit about coming up in Charlotte and and what led you to this point. Absolutely. Um, you know what i I grew up. I was a poor kid who sort of didn't realize I was poor until I, I got into middle school, junior high school, you know, that that time frame. Um, but I was a poor kid. My family uh, overall just grew up in public housing all throughout Charlotte. My grandmother lived in Piedmont Courts before I was born with my, so I'm the youngest of four. Mm-hmm. 
by 10 years. So my brother, who's closest to me, is 10 years older than me. So I was kind of that kid that came along that was like, oh, oh, we're going to have another kid. Great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) And so, um, you know, my grandmother lived in Piedmont Court. She lived in Boulevard Homes. And then she lived in Edwin Towers uptown. And I was reflecting on that a couple years back. She spent the majority of her adult life in public housing and and uh, my family, so my mom and siblings, and then my aunt, one of my aunts, we were in Southside. Mm-hmm. So we grew up in Southside and spent a little bit of time in Brook Hill, which is right across the street right. from Southside, subsidized housing. And even when we moved out, when my family moved out of Southside, I still had family members there. So I was I was there all the time. And that was sort of my origin. So I had friends and went to school with um, so many people who lived there and It wasn't until really, like I said, around that middle school age where you begin to um, sort of bifurcate uh, educationally and you get into gifted programs and they start to track you. Right. Right. And so I began to be around other people and just make new friends and realize, wow, they just from an observational perspective, like their lives are just very different, Mm -hmm. you know, go and hang out at a friend's house and their house looks different. You know, what they're care, what they're caring about, what's top of mind for them is different. And I realized, oh, wow. Okay. This is, uh, we just live in a different environment in Southside. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But it became, it began to materialize for me. Mm -hmm. And, and I was just one, I focused on education and opportunity. When I was in middle school, I focused on um, athletics. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say we had some really great basketball teams. We went undefeated at Sedgefield. I went to Sedgefield Elementary, okay. Sedgefield Middle School, and we had some great basketball teams. We we had some good volleyball teams, and that kept me structured. I began to get involved with student government and things of that nature, and I realized that that's what I needed to do in order to. Uh, really have good college applications. Right. So, yeah, that's I, I focused on that, and that served benefits for me for sure. Okay. Yeah. And just in terms of like Southside Homes, it's one of those communities that I almost like I worry about with mm. everything that's happening right there on the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's sort of on the fringe of South End. That's like one of the rapidly gentrifying districts. Yes. Uh, we've. It's been all over headlines what's been going on with Brook Hill, how developers and city leaders, you know, not so much anymore. And everybody put money aside to try to help with redevelopment and plans fall through and things. But, you know, I feel like up until Gantt Center uh, really highlighted it with Alvin's, his uh, his gallery, his project that he did with Brook Hill. I feel like until then it was just really getting ignored by city leaders and just sort of like let that fall by the wayside. It'll get developed soon enough. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Southside is one of those communities that if if they aren't taken care of now, then it will turn into that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, I, you know, you're basically sort of seeing the, the harbingers of uh, potential displacement, right? right? And um, I'll tell you what, a couple of years back, I, I began to see that as I would drive past Southside Park, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a public park there. So many different organizations begin to take advantage of that park and that space. And I was saying mm-hmm. to some of my friends, oh, I, I see it coming, yeah. right? 
you know, if you go into the community of Southside Homes, it is huge. Right. You know, you can't tell. It, it sort of has good curb appeal from that perspective where mm-hmm. you can't tell how vast it is. But there are a lot of residents that live in Southside Homes. It serves as uh, an affordable housing option. And it's one of the last of, um, you know, the... Uh, sort of the old guard in Livian mm-hmm. um, properties. And so I, I too have concerns about uh, potential displacement, uh, especially with, um, you know, the source of income discrimination mm-hmm. that we have here in the city, which effectively, you know, when people get vouchers and they're made to be mobile, right? And so you can take those vouchers and move around and go here and there and landlords can... Um, you know, say yay or nay as to mm-hmm. whether you have access to to the housing. So it's a concern. It's a concern not only for Southside, but there are other um, there are other communities where we have those concerns Absolutely. as well, for sure. And the thing about Southside, you talk about how vast it is. It's also so even in its vastness, so tight knit. Oh yeah. I was there the other day. I do uh, just deliver delivery stuff in my free time. Uh, make extra bucks. And I was there delivering and it was just like a package, I think. I don't think it was food. I don't know. But someone, yeah, just kids running up to me. What? Who? Who's that for? Oh, she lives right over there. Oh, yeah. And then, well, what is it? I don't know what it is. Okay, well, then the neighbor's like, well, don't leave it on her door. Make mm-hmm. sure you knock hard enough because I want her to see it. And it's just like everybody yes. is out there. And I just, I love that sort of community. That's beautiful, right? Yeah. That's just sort of the traditional, you know, Black community, everybody looking out for one another. Mm-hmm. And um, there, like I said, generations of, of that grow, grew up in Southside. We were generations. When I came home from the hospital, my we my mother brought me home to Southside. Mm-hmm. And so I know I have friends and uh, relationships in that community, mm-hmm. you know. So absolutely, that that's that's the beautiful part of growing up in a community where everyone knows everyone. Right. And now moving to District One. Yes. It's, it's that's the work ahead. Yes. Um, we are got a little bit of time. I know it's going to be a shorter issue than our folks are listen, are used to because. As you may not be surprised to hear, the new city council elect is busy, <laughs> and I'm very appreciative that you uh, joined me on short notice. Just just were elected this week, and um, I'm just really excited to see where this goes. And I was thinking, as I told you off the mic, that we could just sort of sort of kick it around District One and chat about some of these neighborhoods because I think this this is a specific type of district where there's such a diversity of neighborhoods. Nice. It almost feels at large because you have <laughs> places like Uptown, Center City, where there's nothing else like it, obviously, in the city because it is. The center city. Yes. Then you have places like Nodon and Plaza Midwood, the fringe neighborhoods, the hipster neighborhoods, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then you have places like Howie Acres and Hidden Valley that are historically black and have their own issues. And Hidden Valley is brand new to the race. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like we should start there just because I feel like there's some urgency to it. And I, and I, I hesitate to talk uh about Hidden Valley in certain ways, because there's some happenings there today that I want to talk about. But also, I just want to put it out there and preface it with saying, you know, I've done reporting in Hidden Valley for a decade now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I am aware of it's similar to Southside Homes in the sense that it's a historically black community. There's people that have been there for generations. It's yes. a historically working class place. Yeah. When I wrote there in 10, when I went in there in 10 years ago and there was issues with, you know, there was a History Channel show literally called Gangland about Hidden Valley. Mm-hmm. And people were really, 
their main concern was why are, we're being stereotyped because of a tiny percentage of people. Right. Um, and that is, there are community leaders like Charlene who ran in D1. Mm-hmm. I don't think she wanted to run against you. I think she wanted to run against Renee in D4, but they just got rezoned into D1. This is one of her main things that she's pushed for is Hidden Valley to be represented as a neighborhood that's about more than crime. And that's important. At the same time, just today, there were new, there were two homicides reported in that neighborhood. There was. One of them happened in May 4th, but it was just deemed a homicide today. One happened early this morning. So how do you, how do you look at sort of playing that balance where, you know, taking into any, uh, taking into consideration any worries about violent crime, but also not falling into that pit hole of, stereotyping and and letting it just be thought of as that among city leaders. Right. Well, first, I just want to say that both my opponents, so Charlene and Billy, they both ran very good races. Mm -hmm. I reached out to both and and conveyed the same. So I spoke to Charlene and said that and and left Billy a message. Um, I think the way you get to keeping Hidden Valley out of a stereotype is not speaking about them all the time through a certain purview, Mm -hmm. right? And Hidden Valley is a rich historical neighborhood. When I was in school, you know, the working middle class families, gorgeous homes, um, so many friends over there. I spent a lot of time in Hidden Valley as a kid because they went to Myers Park, like mm-hmm. like you know, the, it, was, it was a feeder school for Myers Park, mm-hmm. like uh, Sedgefield was, right? And so a ton of friends from Hidden Valley and family members who extended family members who still live over there, right? So I went over, I'd, I've been in Hidden Valley several times throughout this campaign and just a couple days ago, last weekend, went and knocked doors and talked to community residents and community leaders. They want to be depicted very differently. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just a small percentage of things that are going on over there. Now, you can't ignore that, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Because part of my platform, my platform of opportunity I ran on is how do we live and thrive in safer communities? So we have to address violent crime, the uptick in violent crime within our city and specifically within District 1, mm-hmm. you know. But you know, a few weeks back, um, you know, Plaza Midwood had, a, you know, a gun shooting mm-hmm. there, right? Right. And I think the way that they they went about it in terms of addressing that issue is the way we have to go about it in Hidden Valley. And, and Hidden Valley has been doing it, but in other neighborhoods as well. I spent some time in Belmont. Um, during the campaign, and, you know, they're having some similar challenges with crime. And you have to bring, um, you have to, of course, allow CMPD to to take a position because they're going to help you patrol the neighborhood. But you have to have community leaders. You have to have resident uh, members. You have to have business owners, clergymen. And the way that... Um, Plaza Midwood and Belmont were addressing it. They had everyone had a seat at the table and they circled the wagons and tried to figure out how can we stamp out this crime together and not purely just say, hey, CMPD, you have to figure this out. Send a bunch more officers. Right. 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 Um, Because, of course, then that that adds a texture to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're over policed, but working together and being connected, I think, is the way. Um, that we have to go about it, right? And um, and the thing is, you know, for communities that are thriving and people are 
earning a livable wage and they have safe housing, violent crime typically doesn't occur there. Now, violent crime can occur anywhere, Mm -hmm. but as it relates to like a trend and a growing, a a growing number, a growing metric, it doesn't occur in, you know, communities that are safe. Right. Right. I speak and interact with, uh, community members over at Plaza Shamrock, over in Shamrock, and they're like, crime is not on our top three list. We're not saying it It may not occur, mm-hmm. but that's not our, our top concerns, right? right. Um, they have other concerns. Yeah. And how do, how do you, um, I mean, I guess the obvious answer is just take one issue at a time or one thing that comes in front of council at a time. But as we talked about with this diversity of neighborhoods, I'm thinking like Sonoda, I live in Noda. I've lived there for 10 or 13 years now as a renter, but I do go to the Neighborhood and Business Association meetings mm-hmm. because I cover, I do Noda News. I'm an editor of that on the side. You're busy. There's a little newsletter. I'm a workaholic. <laughs> I'm a workaholic for sure. But, um, and, you know, a lot of what their new concern is around the, a lot of what folks, members there are concerned with is the new UDO and not so much like having a problem with, you know, doing away with single family zoning or this and that, but just having a problem with feeling like they're going to have a lack of a voice because they don't have to necessarily accept or approve or send their recommendation to council for every single rezoning. Yes. Um, and it's not just in NOTA. I mean, NOTA is obviously a, you could already you could say post gentrification neighborhood, uh, but any of these neighborhoods, how do you as a newcomer onto city council with a uh, UDO that's potentially, you know, going to be passed very soon, if not before you are sworn in, mm-hmm. um, sort of deal with that concern of any residents who are dealing with that anxiety about like, oh, well, I guess it's just out of our hands now. Yes. So, uh, you know, I am a collaborator by nature, and that's one of the ways that I became successful in my career is A, doing my homework, but B, um listening to diverse opinions and views. So I've I've spent time in NOTA. Mm-hmm. I've I've talked to residents about their concerns. You know, uh, the development that is going on there that many residents didn't agree with and thinking about and being concerned about, you know, a neighborhood that you've invested in, you've bought a property and you're raising your family in a neighborhood that might look different, you know, five, 10 years from now. Right. And how do you preserve the charm and, um, and the mystique of some really awesome neighborhoods in Charlotte, but in particular, some really super awesome neighborhoods in District 1. Yeah. And, and I it's think it's important, that's, as you mentioned earlier, not just to bring up Hidden Valley in, in a discussion about crime, because Hidden Valley is a huge part of this conversation with the light rail coming through and Howie Acres. Oh, yeah. How do you ensure that that development doesn't just wipe them out? Right. Noda's already been gentrified, like I said. Yes. How do you make sure people aren't displaced from these neighborhoods that they, necess- that they haven't necessarily been displaced from? Right. So... You know, the I'm an advocate of transportation. That's what I I, I do want to be clear on that. Like, public transportation is critical for our city's growth, and we're number fifteen right now. On, I believe number fifteen on the largest cities in the U.S. And we're only going to grow because people are choosing Charlotte as their home, their new home, every single day. So we have to have a public transit system that's reliable, that is robust, right? And people will use it as a first option. You know, I lived for 10 years in New York City, 
And I chose, I had a car. I was one of those few people that had mm-hmm. a car in New York City. But I chose to get on the train many times because it was the best option to get me from point A to point B. So we do need to expand public transportation, but we need to be thoughtful about it. We need to be, uh, we need to get out in front of what displacement can look like and then how we can make sure that residents who have grown up in certain neighborhoods where transportation is is going to take new life, that they have the opportunity to stay in those new neighborhoods and that we're not eradicating the history of those neighborhoods, right? right? Um, so that's all about looking at um, anti-displacement um, opportunities, funds. So when a light rail does go up, do we have a displacement fund where people can take advantage of, of having um, an opportunity to have affordable housing, right? Are there new housing units that are going to be developed along that light rail line? The answer more than likely is yes when we look at what's going on in, in South End. Mm-hmm. So how many of those units will be reserved for affordable housing? And not simply just 30% AMI, but thinking about workforce housing and planning. People who, a lot of our civil servants, you know, they, they work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and they're sitting right there at that 60% AMI. Mm -hmm. So thinking about how can we preserve and yes, you know, negotiating and having, you know, mandates or they work. But I think what works better is inviting collaboration. So not being overly prescriptive about what realtors do, but inviting them to the table and asking them, participating, listening to what's going on in the community and then asking them to be partners. At the end of the day, the community, the city of Charlotte can, of course, they have several layers um, that they can pull. But, you know, I think it's about approach, you know. Absolutely. And so just being mindful and thinking about it, I've been saying throughout my campaign as I talk to people, we want to look I I have this term that I use a mantra in my life, begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. So I always think about where I want to end up and then how do I back into it? What are those steps that I need to do in order to get to that milestone, that goal, Mm -hmm. right? And if we have a North Star as a city of where we want to be, how do we back into those steps to ensure that we're taking the right path, the right way to get there. And so um, that's how I'm going to approach it. You know, when I'm on council, I do my homework. I like information and numbers, um, but I also like to interact and get diverse perspectives. So I will I will hit it from both ends and represent represent the district. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm hitting it from both ends. Is in, it's interesting you put it that way, because I was just thinking about. When you go into Uptown, now your job as a D1 representative is so much different than others. Obviously, every district, a huge part of being any city council rep is to look out for business owners yes. in that district, whether right. it's on the Beatty's Ford Corridor or it's the Wells Fargo Center. But it's just how does it differ for you when you are... When you're over a district like Uptown that, I mean, it does have plenty, it, I mean, I'm sure resident-wise it has as much as any other neighborhood because of the people in the high-rises, but just how it has that balance of corporate and residential. How yeah. does that change things for how you have to look at your district? Yeah. So, you know, I think there's some recurring themes throughout the district. So certainly affordable housing is one, regardless of, you know, if your neighborhood makeup where the average income is 40K versus 120K. 
which is what, you know, Dilworth looks like and, um, and parts of Sedgefield and other, other key neighborhoods. But yes, you're right. I mean, you know, the corporate stewards and, um, the, the corporate uh, partners that we have in the city that call uptown home, they are critical because they are driving the economic development. They're providing jobs. So we have to partner with them to make sure, A, they're providing jobs that allow people who may not have a four-year or two-year degree, do they have an opportunity to get those jobs? Is there equity in, in, that, in that job pool, right? So that's one thing that's top of mind, investment in the community. So a lot of those corporations will invest dollars. They have foundations. They want to do good work in the community. Um, and they're part of District 1. Some of them are part of District 1, and you know they, they split between other districts as well because um, all of Uptown is not included in District 1. But they want to be good stewards and members of the community. Mm-hmm. And so it's... It's about, you know, engaging with them, collaborating with them to figure out what is top of mind for them and how would they like to to invest in the community. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, the job development and um, economic development as it relates to attracting um, other events and um other events to come to the city, uptown is so important for that, Absolutely. right? So we've we've seen a wave and you know, it was over the last 10 years where events, conferences have come and then some have decided to go to other cities, mm-hmm. right? But when you think about when a CIAA would come to Uptown, think about that that boom. Right. Right. That that injection of of dollars into a community that's greatly district one. Right. You know, the same with a lot of the football, the college football games, the championship games. And when there's an event at Bank of America Stadium, mm-hmm. I mean, so much of Uptown benefits. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where we can be good stewards and partners mm-hmm. with our um, Uptown residents for sure. Mm-hmm. So are you promising to get a CIAA back? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I think that's outside of right. uh, no, <laughs> that's out of my, outside mm-hmm. of my powers. But mm-hmm. I will say I will be an advocate for that and mm-hmm. collaborate with. I know there are several council members oh, who yeah. are passionate about it. I know the ma- mayor is passionate mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, we want to have that back. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's an old phrase: you never miss the water till it's gone, mm-hmm. right? And so now that you know it's not here. Right. And, we, you know, sometimes you kind of take things for granted, like, oh, OK, this is going to happen again, again. But now that they're not here, like, wow, we really miss, right. you know, the um, the presence, the impact, the fun. Right. You know. Yeah. So I'll be a part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And just to sort of wrap up, you had talked about communicating and collaborating and that's being one of your biggest things. Um, are you familiar already through other community work and things with any of the council members that you'll be serving with? Have you already started to build those relationships? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, first of all, so many of them have, have called me to, mm-hmm. to just say, hey, congratulations. But because they are candidates as well, they we've been on a campaign trail mm-hmm. together. Oh, right. So, of course, I've spoken to Larkin because Larkin's mm-hmm. my district rep, but I've had conversations with many of them. I've had conversations with, you know, Dimple. Dimple's very uh, passionate about the environment and climate. 
change. So I've had conversations with her, um, Victoria Watlington. Um, I'm I'm a part of a, a board of a community that's in her district. Mm-hmm. So I've had conversations, and she's also my sorority sister. So, right. Oh, um, Victoria's? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I've had conversations with many of them, Malcolm, so many of them, actually, the majority of them, I would say, Braxton, um, Julie, all of all of them. So um, I do have relationships. And then, you know, the other thing that I think is, is beneficial for me is because I have been a part of the community, uh, the business community, the professional community. I know a lot of the business leaders and the government leaders outside of just city council. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have good relationships sort of within um, the government, right, and people who are helping to run the business every day. Right. So I think that's a, a a positive for me that you know helped me hit the ground running quicker. Right. Yeah. And one just closing question, real quick, because I found an interesting, fun trivia uh-huh. heard from your from our mutual <laughs> friends, Jennifer Moxley. I don't need to keep her secret. Yes. Shout yes. out to her. Hi, Jen. But, uh, that's how I got your contact <laughs> info. But uh, trivia that she gave me, or she, I don't know the answer to. How many countries have you lived in um, and or been to? Because she said it's a lot. Yes. <laughs> so I am a globe trotter. Yeah. I love to travel and have just different cultural experiences. Um, I consider myself a global citizen. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to go in and and uh, and you got to remember, I have two film degrees as well. So I am looking at things nice. through that purview of you know, how are cultures being represented? How does society come together? And all of all of the things that influence that. That's really how I kind of look at life in general. So um, so I've traveled to well over 50 countries. Wow. Yeah. Um, kind of lost track. I need to go yeah. back and uh and and count up where I, where I'm at currently. Mm-hmm. And I like to go to new places. There's some places that are great repeats mm-hmm. for me. But I like to have new experiences as well. Do you have a number one to name as your as the last part of this interview? Other than home, don't say District One. Your favorite <laughs> place to travel to? District One, yeah. <laughs> um, um, two things: Barcelona, mm-hmm. phenomenal city. Wow, yeah, I love going to Barcelona, and I love wine too. So when you go and go to Barcelona and other parts of Spain, you can do day trips out to great right. wine countries. Nice. I'm a bit of an adventurous, so you know we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro last year, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I we did uh, base camp for Everest several years back. Nice. So I like doing experiences yeah. like that. I adrenaline, just, adrenaline junkie, or more <laughs> of a journey. Journey. Just the journey in it. Journey. Yeah. We just, I just uh, went through my open water cert for scuba okay. earlier this year. We're going to go and do our checkout dive the first week of June. So, yeah. Awesome. So I, And then I can get underwater and really have those experiences yeah. and excursions. You've been up to the peaks. You want to go under. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome, Dante. Well, I really appreciate you chatting with me. Great talking this. to so, you. Yeah. It's been a great conversation. I think we covered a lot of ground. Yes, sir. Um, in this short time, but. Thanks, and I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. General election, which Dante has not, has already surpassed that part, but general election in July, and then you guys will be sworn in. I'm not sure when they're doing the swearing in. I'm not I'm not firm on a yeah. date. I believe it's in September. Well, stay tuned. We'll let you guys know. Um, but uh, thanks for coming on again, and any last comments before we get out of here? The only thing I would say is... Um, Charlotte, just please come out and participate in that general election. Absolutely. There's so many critical um, 
you know, elections out there at the at the national level, the congressional level, senatorial, uh, but then you know locally as well, mayor. Um, I think sheriff is already taken care of, but the, a lot of the judges, there's a lot of critical yeah. elections, both national and local and everywhere in between. So don't, don't skip out on July. Uh, yeah, definitely do not. Yeah. Don't do um, it. All right, cool. Well, we appreciate you and we will see you guys next time. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com